All right, let's, let's pray together again. Father, thank you for your word. We are grateful that you have not left us to wonder about who you are or what you are like. You have given us your word, and so we pray, Lord, now that you would teach us. Would you give us humble hearts to receive? Would you open our eyes to see, God, what is true? Would you give us wisdom to apply these truths to our lives and conviction by your Spirit? We pray you'd move freely here. Do all that you want to do in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends. Well, welcome to FBC. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm just glad that you are with us. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 17. That's where we're going to be this morning. We just heard it read aloud. We're starting in verse 20 of John chapter 17. Uh, Next week, we're going to be back in our study of the Gospel of John in full, right? Last February, we started walking through the Gospel of John, uh, as we often do, taking a book of the Bible and preaching through it. We've been in this relationship series for a few weeks now, but starting next week, we're picking up where we left off in the Gospel of John, which was the start of chapter 12, and then we'll just start preaching uh, from there, little by little, but that leaves this morning. Uh, our final week in our gospel-shaped relationship series where we've been trying to talk about how does the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus, change and shape and transform how we do relationships. Right? This is not just a message for later, but the gospel is a message that uh, also changes how we live now. And so we've talked about your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself and your relationship uh, in general with other people. Last week we talked about family and this morning we're going to be talking about your relationship with the church. Or I should say relationships within the church. Your relationships with the strange people sitting around you in this room right now. We're an odd bunch, aren't we? This is going to be a challenging topic for us to think about. Let's be honest. There's some some hurdles here as we start to talk about the church for a number of reasons. Some of us have um, some some baggage with church life or wounds from the past, right? We've been hurt in churches before, had some negative experiences or maybe some present conflict that uh, needs to be sorted out. That could be part of it. Um, Some of us maybe are skeptical of our need for the church. Right? We've been so discipled by our culture to be you know, rugged, individualistic people here in America. And so talk of the church or commitment to the church or the need for the church is not always understood. Right? Church relationships we see are sometimes optional, we think, or kind of low priority for some of us. Also add to it that many of us are suspicious of organizations nowadays We are suspicious of uh, leaders and institutions because we've seen, right, in the last few years, stories come out of abuse of power and cover-ups and financial dishonesty and all these problems in organizations, especially, well, even in uh, churches, right? Religious institutions, uh, Christian pastors and leaders uh, with scandals almost every other week, it feels like. And so we're not always sure how connected we want to be to 
a church or an organization like that. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good to talk about here. Many of us have some of the the deepest and richest experiences in our lives uh, coming from church and our friends here, and yet there are some hurdles as we go. So it's my hope this morning that that even uh, despite the challenges, we'd be able to talk honestly about our life together as a church family. Now, like last week, we talked about family last week, and we realized, hey, this could really be like a whole sermon series on family. You know, it's been extended weeks here, but we're going to do the best we can with one week. It's kind of the same today. As we talk about the church, there's a lot we could say. This could be a whole sermon series, and yet we have one week, and so we're going to do our best uh, to, to grapple with this. Sound good? Okay. All right, John chapter 17, verse 20 is where... We start for our main text. Uh, You heard it read aloud, but let's look again at verse 20 to start. Jesus speaking here. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So we're jumping in here towards uh, the end of chapter 17 of John. And we see Jesus praying, right? Actually, most of chapter 17 or all of chapter 17 so far has uh, the high priestly prayer, it's called, of Jesus. In chapter 18, he's about to be arrested and moved towards the cross. And so this is kind of a closing uh, words and moments here, uh, a prayer of Jesus to his father. The last few chapters of the gospel, if you, you know, flip back to the previous few chapters, it's gone from the public ministry of Jesus and his signs and miracles, and it's really zoomed in on his relationship with his disciples and his last few days with them. And here we see him praying for his disciples. So if you look at the kind of the middle and first half of chapter 17, his prayer is about his disciples and the challenges that they would face as the gospel goes forth in the world. But notice verse 20 takes a turn. He's not praying, he says, for them alone, just for his immediate disciples, his present disciples there. But who else is he praying for? He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So not just his present disciples, but his future disciples. And that includes us. It's cool. Jesus praying for you. If you're his follower there, he's, he's looking down through history at those future generations of disciples who would believe and come to know him through the message of those first disciples. Now notice then, just a simple observation, then that we are a part of this rich history of followers of Jesus. There's a legacy that we are Part of those of us who have put our faith in Christ are only able to do so because of the generations who have gone before us and preserved and passed on the gospel message going all the way back to these first disciples. We have faithful generations of men and women who have walked with Christ and preserved and passed on the gospel. And we need to point that out for a few reasons. One, that should humble us should humble us because our faith and the message of the gospel is not something that uh, we created or really have ownership over. It's something that is to be received. It's something that has been, been given to us, of course, from Christ himself, but then passed through these disciples. And sometimes we have this kind of perspective that uh, newer is always better, 
or what's more modern, the modern technology, everything coming out now is necessarily better than what comes before it. Kind of a bit of a chronological snobbery we have today. But again, here we realize that our faith is something that we receive and we are to do so in humility. This truth should also encourage us because there's, there's safety, there's comfort here in realizing, again, that we're not just making this stuff up. You know, it wasn't as if Pastor Matt woke up a few weeks ago and was like, I got an idea. Church, let's, here we go. You know, let's get some people together and we'll, we'll talk about Jesus and we'll kind of start, you know. No, there is a, a history here. And I think increasingly you notice today people want to be, want to have a sense of being a part of something bigger than themselves, something with, with roots, something which, which lasts, something that has depth to it. And so in Christianity, we find not only the most like, global and diverse uh, religion today or throughout history, really, but it's something that's ancient. We're going back thousands of years, and sure, the church hasn't always gotten everything right. There are some blemishes on the record, but we have the gospel message that has been preserved and shared and passed down to us. And so we stand in this rich legacy of faith, this rich heritage that we now get to live out the next chapter of. And so Jesus looks forward and, uh, to his church, his future disciples, including us, and he prays for them. Now let's, let's look at how he prays for us, what he prays for us. Look again at the text. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. So did you notice the theme there? What's repeated in those verses? Three times in three verses, he prays for our unity. Verse 21, I pray that all of them may be one. Verse 22, I have given them glory that they may be one. Verse 23, that they may be brought to complete unity. Three times in three verses. And so, friends, realize as followers of Jesus, yes, we are called to love everyone, to love our neighbors, to love even our enemies, to have a posture towards others, and to serve and honor and bless whoever we come across. And yet we should realize from Scripture this special bond that we have as followers of Jesus. This unique set of relationships that we enjoy within the church and that we share with one another. Jesus prays that his church, his people, would be one. Now, the example that he gives of this unity, the picture, maybe the model you could say of this unity, is the relationship between the Father and the Son. Did you see that in verse 21? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So the, it's the unity of the Father and the Son that is to be this model of unity for the church. 
So realize in the doctrine of the Trinity, right, we worship one God eternally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, perfectly unified in purpose, in love, in essence, and yet distinct. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and, and so on. And so just as our God is one, perfectly unified, so Jesus prays that we, Christians, his people, would also be one. That we would, yes, remain individuals, and yet share this common heart, purpose, commitment to Christ and his kingdom. And you see the same language used throughout the New Testament, right? As you see descriptions of the church, you see language like the body of Christ, right? There's one body and yet many members with diverse functions and roles. Or you see the language of the, the household of God, We're brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, we all end up sharing the same last name, as it were. So we're unified, though distinct. We're individual people, and yet we have this shared commitment to Christ and his kingdom. Notice Jesus is praying for, not just that like everyone in all the world, everywhere would be unified with everyone. There's some qualifiers here. He's praying for those who believe in him through the message of the apostles. Those who through faith are united to him and thus find life with God himself. Or just as I, you are in me and I am in you, he says to his father, they may be in us. That we, somehow through faith in Christ, are invited into the very life of God. So we're not talking about unity in general or unity in a vague sense. Because realize unity isn't necessarily virtuous. Right? Unity for the sake of unity isn't really the target here because you could be unified around uh, a lot of negative things. Take, for example, the mob. Okay. They could be unified in their purposes of you know, making money and consolidating power, assassinating enemies, things like that. They could be, hey, we're all on the same page, working for the same goal, and that's not necessarily virtuous unity, is it? Right? So it's not just unity for the sake of unity, but what is it that unifies us? Around what are we unified? And we see clearly from the text, it's what? Commitment to Christ, belief in him, commitment to the glory of God, love for God, commitment to the kingdom. So let's talk a little bit more about unity. If Jesus prays that we would be unified, what does that look like? Or what does it not look like? First point, unity doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. As in, hey, everybody in the church is going to look the same and talk the same and get the same haircut and so on down the list. It's not as if all of our differences are ignored or kind of smoothed out, right? First Corinthians 12, again, Romans chapter 12, the, the language of the body of Christ clearly, again, highlights diversity and distinction within the body. So yes, we're one. Yes, we're unified. And yet that doesn't mean we're all exactly the same. We have different strengths, gifts, personalities, upbringings, backgrounds, ethnicities. 
Unity is not saying, hey, we ignore all that stuff and we're all just kind of clones and robots and we buy the same brands and root for the same sports teams, although you should root for the 49ers later, and we get the same, again, haircuts. Although, again, Pastor Ian and Pastor Lee, they got the shave head glasses look. They're trying to force that on me, and I'm not going to give in, people. Okay, I'm keeping this head of hair. I'm not going with that look, uh, even though they're, they're trying to tell me I need to. I'm just kidding. They haven't put any pressure on me. But, again... Sometimes we think, hey, unity means we all just become kind of exactly the same. But, but true unity is actually seen when we come together, even with all of our differences around, again, a common cause. With one heart to make much of Jesus and prioritize his kingdom. So the church is actually supposed to have a lot of different people in it. I think back of our, our church in, in Denver, and uh, before we came here, we're at this church with a lot of uh, older, believer, older believers and some younger believers kind of coming in, kind of next generation, and sometimes, um, you know, older generations and younger generations, surprise, uh, see things differently sometimes, right? And so there's sometimes some conflict, and specifically in that church, we're going through some like music style changes and thoughts there. And so there's, you know, everybody always has a lot of opinions about music and all that. Um, And so, but I remember it was really beautiful because some of the older believers in our congregation said, you know what, we really want our kids and our grandkids to worship alongside us. We want to see them in church singing their hearts out to Jesus. And so, so we're willing to, to lay down some of our preferences in music style or song selection if that means we can be unified with the next generation. And it's this really beautiful picture saying it's not about our preferences and wants, but we just want to be one church family and, and sing together. And so we're willing to do things a little different for the sake of unity. I think of some, some people in this church. Some of you guys have, have been together here much longer than I've been around. Some of these families in the church go back years and years and years, and there's a rich history of unity in this church, even amidst difficulties and changes. Right? If you've uh, been in the same place for any number of years, let alone decades, there's bound to be conflict and relational conflict and issues, and yet so many of you have modeled this unity and this willingness to work through issues with dear brothers and sisters and stay as one church family. That is to be celebrated. Also, I want to point out that there's a difference between cheap unity and true unity. Cheap unity is when we want to jump right to the end of the story and this claim of unity. We like slap a bumper sticker of unity on a situation without doing some of the hard work to get there. Right? Let's just not talk about our differences or if we've hurt people, let's not talk about those past issues. Let's just focus on what we share in common and we're all the same and so we don't have to, to listen or, or hear about the wounds of the past. I've been troubled how in the last few years, sometimes Christians, we've wanted to play the unity card as a a way to kind of skip over some hard conversations. One of the ways that's happened has been conversations about race. In the past few years, those conversations have come up a lot in the church. Some of us have been willing to have those conversations. 
Some of, them, some of us don't want to have those conversations. And sometimes we play the unity card. We say, we're all Christians. Let's focus on what we share in common. And let's not talk about the uncomfortable differences and realities of our history. Friends, that's cheap unity. That's slapping a bumper sticker of unity without talking about real issues and wounds. Just like in interpersonal relationships, not even with the race topic, but interpersonal relationships. If there's a wound... If there's an issue, you want to be heard and understood. You want to seek to understand those, uh, the person on the other side rather than just breezing past it, right? right? We've all been in situations where someone doesn't want to talk about the reality of an issue and wants to kind of fast forward to, I said sorry, I asked for forgiveness, let's just move past this really quick. And sometimes we need to do the hard work of understanding and listening and bearing with one another to get to a true place of unity where we're all heard and understood. And sometimes that's a process. So we can't substitute true unity for, for cheap unity. Also realize, friends, that unity is not a given. Right? We can't just come in with a naive approach to church life and say, well, we all love Jesus and we're all pretty nice people. You know, we're going to get along just fine. Because realize, Jesus prayed for our unity. Meaning, it wasn't a given. It, it wasn't something that Jesus was like, I got, yeah, this is going to work out no problem. Like, they're going to be unified. I'm not worried about that at all. You know, he, he prayed for it to his father. Same, you see the same thing with the Apostle Paul in so many of his letters. Pleading with the church. Love one another. Submit to one another. Serve one another. Put aside pride. Be humble towards one another. Be patient with one another. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, he writes. Again, meaning, implying, it's not just going to happen on its own. Because of our sin, we have this tendency towards self, towards pride, towards ego, towards division. It takes work to remain unified as a church family. And notice here this morning, we're, we're talking about, I'm talking primarily about unity within this local body of believers because maybe you're thinking in your mind as we're talking about this, there's uh, so much fragmentation in the church. We see all these big strands of, of the church throughout history. And so I'm not here exactly even trying to propose a solution to the different branches of the church and denominations that are so numerous. Um, sometimes I don't even know where to start with all of that. But we can start here saying, hey, as a church family here, we can work towards unity and love one another well. And so that's going to require a few things. Right, what will unity require? Think of Ephesians chapter 4, one of the other key texts about unity within the church. Apostle Paul writing, and he says this, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So unity will require humility, like we talked about a few weeks ago, seeing the needs of others, honoring and valuing others above ourselves. Unity will take gentleness and patience, 
We know that unity will take forgiveness, right? Where someone has sinned against us or we have sinned against someone else, there needs to be forgiveness extended and received. And, and yet, this text in Ephesians chapter 4 talks about forbearance. You see, it said, bearing with one another. And forbearance is a little bit different than forgiveness, right? If someone punches you in the face, um, there needs to be forgiveness <laughs> sought and extended. But forbearance is not always as clear. Forbearance is this uh, act of suspending judgment, suspending judgment and, and, and loving people in such a way that you say, I'm going to give you space to work this thing out, and I'm not going to make it a point to take issue with every potential offense or weakness that I see in you. I'm going to leave some space for this to get worked out and realize that not every perceived offense is an actual offense. And I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and ex- uh, express patience towards you. Right? And sometimes that's so opposite to what we want to do today. If you spend any time on social media uh, or, or on Twitter, uh, sometimes what people do, it's like, it's like our whole culture has this commitment to, I'm going to take a statement that someone says, and I'm going to interpret it in the least charitable way possible. Have you seen that? I'm going to take something someone says, and I'm going to choose to interpret it in the least charitable way possible. And make all these assumptions about them. I'm going to assume the worst about them and get quite worked up about it. Right? Forbearance is the opposite of that. Is I'm going to interpret what someone says or does in a charitable light, try to assume the best about them, and not get worked up about every possible weakness or offense that I could. Let me just be honest, this is really hard. As I'm preaching this, I, I see this in, in my own life, the struggle to practice forbearance and humility and unity and love because it's, it's so easy to grumble. Can I just tell you about Pastor Matt's heart? It's so easy for me to grumble and to, to take offense. Right? It's, it's, sometimes it feels impossible to go a whole week, let alone a day, or excuse me, a day, let alone a week, without experiencing some slight, some jab, some wound. Maybe I'm just overly sensitive, but maybe you can relate. Okay, it just feels like it's hard to get through a day without someone saying something potentially offensive or doing something potentially offensive, some sort of jab, some sort of conflict. And it's so easy. If we let every potential perceived offense if we let every possible insult or jab get a hold in our hearts, it's going to destroy us. If we get worked up about every possible slight and interpret everything in the least charitable way, we're just going to be grumbling, bitter people. And I see this tendency in my own life. And so friends, we need to work for unity to choose to be gracious and patient and charitable as the Lord taught us. And friends, realize as well that this sort of unity only gets lived out in actual relationships and community, right? We could talk about unity all day and in, in theory and on paper and have a nice little unity binder that we go to and point out and we know the terms and the words, but unless we're in real relationships with one another, this is never going to get 
lived out. That's one of the reasons that, um, you know, Pastor Lee was up here talking about community groups. That's one of the reasons we believe so strongly in groups. Because as followers of Jesus, we're not intended to do this alone. We need one another for support, for encouragement, for rebuke where necessary. We're not meant to do this alone. This is why um, we're, we're trying to run this rooted 10-week discipleship course because we know for some people there needs to be an introduction to community, an introduction to groups, an introduction to some of the basics of following Jesus. And we want to do that together. So again, if you're considering uh, groups in general, really want you to jump in. Or if you'd like to check out Rooted, we'd love to have you come out um, and uh, be with me Tuesday nights here at the church. But until we really live in community, I mean, coming together here on Sunday is great. I'm glad you guys are here. Um, But that's only a a part of our life together as a church. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus prays for our unity. And notice again, he points out the basis for our unity. What it is that brings us together. Because he's again, not talking about unity everywhere with everyone for every reason. Look again at the verses. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, that? so Jesus is talking about those who believe in him through the message of the gospel. So his followers who now somehow, through the power of God, have been united to Christ, and we are in the Father and the Son. Do you see that? Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. We, through faith in Christ, then are, have this new identity, this new reality of life with God that we share. We're adopted into the same family. This new reality of a changed heart, eternal life in Christ. And so I want you to see that clearly because this could get misinterpreted, right? It's possible that you'd come to church and then you'd hear a message on unity and assume that I'm just talking about joining some social club. You know, that, that, that being a part of this church means, well, you show up on Sunday and you kind of get socialized into our little, you know, way of doing things. You come to a building a few times a month. But I want you to see that this invitation to, to unity and to being a part of the church is not a, a kind of country club sort of reality. It's this reality that starts with faith in Christ. We're not talking about like a horizontal human uh, sociology. We're talking about this new life in Christ. And so the starting point for you is not, hey, do you want to come like hang out at this building with this kind of awkward group of people? But do, do you know Jesus? Right? Have you committed your life to him, turned from your sin and received salvation and new life that comes through faith in Christ? That's where, where entry into this community starts. Now, if you're here this morning and you're, you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad that you are here. We're so glad that you are with us. We want to love you and serve you. We want you to, to, to know Jesus. But again, the starting point for, for truly belonging, truly being a part of this church community is trusting in Christ, that simple gospel message. 
We're saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. So I encourage you, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, please don't hear me again just as a simple invitation to a social club or invitation to, you know, free food every once in a while, which the free food's great. But, but really we're talking about spiritual, eternal realities, your soul, your heart before God. Now notice the last thing we need to see from this text is that the stakes are really high here. Notice in the text the impact of our unity. Why unity is so important. This is big. Look at the second half of verse 21. May they also be in us so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. Then there it is again. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. So we see it twice in the text. The impact our unity will have. The result of our unity, you could say, so that the world may believe that you sent me. When we are unified, the world will know that Jesus came from the Father, that Jesus is real. So do you see that our unity is designed to be this powerful testimony, this witness to the watching world that somehow people would look at our relationships, at our life together, at our unity as a church family, how we live together, and they would say, there's something different here. This doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. There must be something about this Jesus that they know. That's part of God's plan to reach the world. Our unity. Now that seems kind of like maybe a questionable plan. Because we haven't always done a good job of this, right? But think about it. The message of the gospel is going to go forth. And, and Jesus says he looks down through history and he sees generations of his followers to come and he prays for them. And he could have prayed for a lot of things. Think about it. He could have looked forward at future generations of Christians and said, Father, we want the message of the gospel to be successful and the kingdom of God to grow and the church to advance. Why did he pray for unity? Right? He could have prayed for money. That would have been nice. <laughs> Father, I pray that you would give my people full bank accounts, massive budgets. They could buy billboards have the, the, the nicest technology. They could put church logos on coffee cups all over town and bumper stickers. I mean, Father, let's equip the church with money to accomplish your purpose. They'll lead the masses to you. But he doesn't pray for money. He could have prayed, Father, would you give the church political influence? I want them to be really comfortable in the land in which they live. And so I pray that presidents and kings would align their laws with the church and with God's word so that my people, your, our people, would not be uncomfortable. They'd experience favor from government. 
and blessing and your word would be able to go forth. But he doesn't pray for political persuasion or influence. He could have prayed for ease of life for his church. Father, I pray that you would make the church comfortable and give them nice couches and nice television sets and nice vacations and nice toys. Give them an ease of life so that people would see the material blessings you have given them and they would conclude that you are real. But he doesn't pray for that. He prays for unity. He says it's the unity of the church that will be a witness to the world that Jesus is real. Why? Why is that so powerful? Well, think about how the world typically works. We divide, right? We divide based on our interests and our backgrounds. We form affinity groups. We spend time with people who are like us. We love people who are like us. I mean, look throughout history, right? You see division. You see racial division. You see economic division. You see, you know, going way back, tribal division. There's this this pattern of we look out for those who are like us, those who share our interests. And so I'm not always interested in spending a lot of time and energy loving people who are inconvenient or difficult to love. The other, you could say. And sometimes in our worldly wisdom, we say that's what the church should look like. Just focus on our, right, what we share and let's just like cater everything in our church around our preferences and we'll attract more people who, who look like us and act like us and make the same kind of amount of money that we do and the church is going to grow because we'll all get along and there won't be any like, you know, problems and off we go. But the unity of the, the, unity of the church you see, is so powerful because, precisely because, it brings people together that otherwise don't have a lot of reason to be together. It brings people together that have no business being together, really, other than shared commitment to Christ. Think back to Ephesians chapter 2, Paul talking about just the history of Jews and Gentiles and how revolutionary it was, how difficult it was for the early church to understand That Gentiles were grafted in to the tree. That Gentiles were a part of the family of God. Not by becoming Jewish, but simply through faith in Christ. You see so much in the New Testament of them trying to work this out, that there was hostility between Jews and Gentiles, and yet it was the blood of Christ that brought them together. It was through the blood of Christ that one new humanity was formed. It was through the blood of Christ that he gave us peace and reconciliation, and the same access to God the Father. And so where there was bitter hostility for generations and deep animosity between people groups, they, through the blood of Christ, were unified. And now family. And so it's the same for us today. Actually, it shows the glory of God, the beauty of Christ, when we, though different though remarkably different sometimes, can come together with a shared commitment to Christ and be this new family. Pastor Larry Osborne uh, down in San Diego points out that as you look at Jesus' original 12 disciples, 
there were some that were zealots and some that were tax collectors. And zealots were like real nationalistic Jews. Like we are loyal to the Jewish people and the Romans are evil and we want nothing to do with them. And then you had tax collectors who were basically working with the Romans, kind of against the Jewish people. And so they were seen as traitors. And so in the 12 disciples, you have zealots and you have tax collectors. Again, they don't normally get along. And Larry Osborne points out that when they went on road trips, he probably made them room together (laughs) so they could work it out. Because he's saying, hey, in my church, for my disciples, my people, we are not to let division rule the day. And friends, when you, when you look at the history of the early church, historians will point out just how radical those early followers of Jesus were in the ancient world. Their, their diversity stood out. They were really seen as the first truly multi-ethnic religious movement in world history. Because before that, it was like you, you worshipped the gods of your people. You worshipped the gods of your land. And now it was saying, hey, every tribe, tongue, and nation is to come together and worship the one true God. And so you see this first truly multiracial religious community was the church. Also, you saw incredible economic diversity, Right? Where, where the ancient world was really stratified and separated based on uh, classes and those who made more versus the poor. And you see, though, in the church that everyone is on equal footing. And though out in the world, again, they might not have much in common, in the church they're now brothers and sisters, rich and poor, coming together to worship God. No favoritism in the church for the rich and actually uh, honoring and uplifting the poor and vulnerable. And so you see in the church this beautiful unity and diversity that we are to display still today. See, people should be able to look at our community, our church, and say, you know, this this doesn't really make sense. Like the math here doesn't add up why you guys all get along and love each other and do life the way that you do. There's got to be some explanation other than a simple horizontal human explanation. And we should be able to say, well, yeah, there is. It's because of Jesus. So friends, Jesus prays for our unity as a church. That that will show the world that he is real. So I encourage you to consider what steps you might need to take towards unity this morning. If there's reconciliation that needs to take place. If there's forgiveness you need to seek if there's extending forgiveness that you need to do. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we love you. And we see your words in John 17, how you pray that the church would be one, that your people would be one, and that that would show the world that you were sent by the Father and that you love us. And so, God, we pray that our church, that FBC, would be marked by a supernatural love and unity. We know we cannot do this in our own strength. We know that our tendency in our sinful hearts is to stray and turn towards self. So we need you, God, by the power of your Spirit, to unite us in a way that doesn't make sense. Maybe in a way that surprises even us. We pray that you be glorified through our life together as a church. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.